Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego, California, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota, and let's go places. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here in the media workroom. Brendan, yeah, what a week it has been. It's been a week. It's been exhausting. <laughs> yeah, My voice is mostly dead, but we are here, we are live, and we are talking about the Baltimore Orioles being the birds of prey. I'm feathered up. Are you feathered up? I am. Would it be breaking intellectual property? If we I don't to, know. Because I think we would have to benefit off of it if Masson were to take hashtag feathered up and make it their own. I'm benefit, benefiting from it just for my own pure enjoyment. <laughs> Does that count as stealing Scott Boris's intellectual property? I don't think so. I think you have to make physical money off of it. Okay. But So if somebody Venmos me for my enjoyment of they feathered say, up. I liked hearing feathered up. Here's $5. Right. Then I think that Scott Boris could sue you because he needs the money. Yes. He needs the extra he's, $5. He's very short. For which you are yeah. getting, benefiting. Yeah. Um, exciting times here at the winter meetings. Very different winter meetings for the Orioles than we are used to seeing from this club, at least under Mike Elias. You know, today, later this afternoon, Brendan, is the Rule 5 draft that used to be the highlight of the winter meetings for the yeah. Orioles. The last couple winter meetings, Michael Elias has been transparent in saying they've been about hiring. They've been about building the staff, building up the front office, because when he joined this thing back in 2018, first off, they didn't have a manager, so he had to hire Brandon Hyde. That happened at the first winter meetings. And then he had to build up his staff and build up the front office because it takes a long time for you to accrue all the talent that you want. This winter meetings is much more about acquiring big league talent. And the Orioles did that before the winter meetings by getting Kyle Gibson. They made it official on the first day of the winter meetings. Haven't made any other big league moves, but they've made some moves around the periphery. And we're hearing other exciting things about what they have in store. Yeah, and it sounds like they are trying to make other big league moves. I mean, on the topic of Scott Boris, Boris said that Elias had been very aggressive in talking to him. We don't know exactly which Boris clients that means. We can guess because Boris is representing guys like Cody Bellinger, who just recently signed with the Cubs yesterday, but is also representing Carlos Rodon, who the Orioles have been linked to. So it's possible that Elias has been calling about Rodon. But as you said, Paul, Kyle Gibson, the big league signing that they have made this week. We haven't heard about anything else so far. But from the sounds of things, it sounds like Mike Elias has been very aggressive in his pursuit of those big league deals, which is something that is very different than years past. And to be clear, that feathered up phrase, birds of prey phrase, does come from Scott Boris and <laughs> his team of speechwriters, apparently. I mean, he's got more speechwriters than the president. It is the most entertaining part of winter meetings, yes. I think, every year. Yes. It's the Scott Boris press conference. It's like a concert. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you gather around for Scott Boris to got see it. what he has to say. Got to hear it. And he really delivers with he all, does. Kinds of, uh, all kinds of good lines. So uh, let's talk about Kyle Gibson, because that was made official on the first day of these winter meetings. It's a straight one-year, $10 million contract. Jordan Lyles' option at the end of the season was for $11 million, but it contained a $1 million buyout, which they paid. So that was essentially a $10 million decision. The Orioles choose to allocate that exact amount of money 
on Kyle Gibson. And we said a week ago on this podcast that we thought that Gibson would be cheaper considering he was three years older, 35, going into the season and had a worse 2022 season than uh, Jordan Lyle. So we figured this might be slightly a discount. It's not. It's not. And I think the thing to take away from what we have heard about Kyle Gibson is that the league clearly views Gibson as better than what his 2022 ERA indicated. And the Orioles, too. Right. <laughs> because Gibson reportedly, uh, Dan Conley, I believe, reported as well that the Blue Jays also offered Kyle Gibson $10 million, and he just chose the Orioles over the Blue Jays, which tells you that contending teams around the league view Kyle Gibson as somebody who is A, worth $10 million, and B, worthy of being in your starting rotation on a team that is trying to make a playoff push like Toronto is clearly trying to do and the Orioles are clearly trying to do as well. So I think that tells you how the league views Kyle Gibson versus how they view Jordan Lyles. The Orioles clearly view Gibson as an upgrade over Lyles or else they wouldn't have spent the same amount of money in favor of the one guy. And Jordan Lyles, while he did have a better 2022 season than Kyle Gibson, Gibson has had a much better career. Yes. I mentioned it on the last podcast, but Gibson's career war, according to baseball reference, is close to 15. Lyles is under one. It's in the negatives. So throwing out the numbers on the baseball card is what Michael Elias said yesterday, because those numbers can lie. And it's the job of the Orioles' front office to determine what somebody is going to be. You, don't, you never want to pay somebody for what they've done already. That's how you make mistakes, I think, in the front office. And I think of teams like the L.A. Angels. They always seem to be a step late, or at least they are on time. And in this league, when you're on time, you're late, to use an expression right. my college professor <laughs> would use all the time. Uh, you have to be ahead. And so what the Orioles are doing here is they're hoping that they get a better season 2023 than they did in 2022 to continue that kind of Angels expression. I mean... When the Angels acquired Jose Iglesias, they did so after Iglesias put up career numbers in that shortened 2020 season, the best season he'd ever had in his career. They paid a premium because they had to buy high on him. Uh, other moves that they made in the past, that when they acquired Justin Upton in 2017 during a career year, signing Anthony Rendon right after his trip to the World Series with the Nationals and a career year for him, they bought high at his highest possible value. Uh, Gio Urshela, the trade that they made this offseason, where not his best season of his career, but his second best season of his career, a very good year with the Minnesota Twins, they traded for him when he was at his peak value. And the thing is, when you trade for somebody at their peak value or you acquire them at their peak value, odds are they're going to regress. Now, sometimes they could get better. Sometimes it's a, a sign of things to come. But when you buy high, odds are you're going to have to at some point sell low. And that's something that the Angels and other organizations – do very poorly and what the Orioles have done throughout their history under Michael Elias they haven't always succeeded at it but they have tried to buy low and sell high and that's a simple rule of thumb for front offices yeah it's a very delicate balance I think between making a signing because you trust the track record and you trust maybe the peak of somebody for example the Anthony Rendon yeah signing I don't think a lot of people saw his decline coming. He has struggled with injuries, and he has just flat-out struggled when he's been on the field. But he had 
a track record of success. So again, it, it's a weird balance between are you buying them at their peak or do you just trust the track record and trust that they are a proven commodity? With Kyle Gibson here, I think you're trusting the previous track record rather than the last season. Right. We talked about on the last podcast, there are a lot of underlying numbers to suggest that Kyle Gibson is a much better pitcher than he was in 2022, ERA-wise. That ERA was up over five, but his expected ERA was at 446, and his FIP, which is fielder independent pitching, was down at 428 which was a lower figure than Jordan Lyles. Right. And Gibson was playing in Philly. He was playing with a terrible defense, arguably the worst in all of baseball. Infield, at least. The worst defensive infield in all of baseball. I think you could say, yeah. (laughs) And he comes to the Orioles where Michael Elias is able to say, hey, Camden Yards is now a much more pitcher-friendly ballpark. Your ERA is going to look a lot better than a 505 if you pitch the way that we think you can. And Kyle Gibson, as a ground ball pitcher, he induces ground balls at over a 50% rate in his career. He's a ground ball pitcher who is now going to be throwing balls that are hit on the ground to Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, who won the gold glove at third base, whether he's at third or at second base, and Gunnar Henderson, who is an impact defender, whether he's at third, short, wherever he might be. And Jorge Mateo won the Fielding Bible (laughs) Award rather than the gold glove award. Brandon Hyde expressed his disappointment with Mateo not being a finalist there. But the point being, the Orioles infield, defensively, massive upgrade from Philly. And I think the ballpark plays a little bit better to Kyle Gibson's strengths as well. And that's all just the stuff that we can access, all the information we can. But the Orioles have a whole host of information that we are not privy to. And that's something that Michael Elias indicated is that his front office, his analytics group, saw some stuff in Kyle Gibson that they believe is something they can unlock going forward because he has six pitches as mentioned yep um sinker cutter sinker cutter and they're trusting their ability to get something out of him that he maybe didn't show in 2022 now maybe he showed it in that all-star season the first half when he was with texas still and he pitched against the orioles back in april 2021 and threw eight shutout innings and they clearly see something in him that was not tapped into the, the only thing, though, Brendan, is it still is roughly the same amount as they would have given Jordan Lyles. And with a one-year contract, you are still taking a gamble that you're getting a good year. You know, pitchers can be, and relievers are more year-to-year than starting pitchers, but pitchers in general can be year-to-year. So they are banking on something like this happening. It's not like the Matt Harvey signing a couple years ago, which was a minor league deal, which you give him a million dollars if he makes the big league team and they clearly saw some stuff in him that they were unable that they were able to unlock didn't reach his full potential still had a six and a half era but looked a whole lot better than he had the year before so this is still a bit much bigger gamble than we've seen michael Elias make this is still the most he's committed in terms of guaranteed money to a free agent Still has not given out a multi-year contract. It's just the one-year deal, but $10 million represents the largest investment he has made so far. And he was pretty you know, strong about his belief that the Orioles could still acquire, and he hopes that the Orioles will still acquire another starting pitching, pitcher this winter. Yeah, and to your first point, I think when you're looking at Gibson versus Lyles, which is the obvious comparison that everybody has been making, I think Gibson offers you a lot more upside, and I think you have to take that gamble if you're the Orioles at this point because you're hoping to make a playoff push. Jordan Lyles had one of the best seasons of his career in Baltimore last year. 
and it wasn't a spectacular season. Jordan Lyles' ceiling is just not all that high, quite frankly. We've seen it over his career. He is probably not going to be a much better pitcher than we saw in 2022. Whereas Kyle Gibson, the Orioles clearly believe that they can unlock something with his six-pitch mix. There's a lot to work with there. He has an all-star game under his belt in 2021. Clearly, Baltimore believes that he can get back, maybe not to all-star form, but somewhere close to that form. And that's a gamble that you need to take because Kyle Gibson could push your rotation from a good one to a very good one if he turns into the very good pitcher that he was in 2021. It's a much higher ceiling move. And while it does have a bit of a lower floor, I don't know if the floor is much lower than what it would have been with Jordan Lyles. Right. And he will still slide into the back end of your rotation. I yes. mean, pretty much no matter how he does, it's he's going to be your number five, number four starter. But my point was having oh, yeah. a good number four, number five yeah. elevates your rotation. Absolutely. And it's still somebody who they still have to start every fifth day. Right. So just like the, the opening day starter, speaking of the opening day starter, uh, Mike Elias said that uh, they could still acquire somebody who could start on opening day, somebody who's good enough to be that guy and take some pressure off of the young guys in their rotation, or they could search more for the second tier. Brennan, during this winter meetings last night, Jamison Tyone, winner of the free agency bracket, ended up signing a four-year contract for $68 million, and he is off the market. Yeah. Bummer for the free agency bracket. <laughs> Going to the Cubs. I think the Orioles could still sign a Jamison Tyone-esque pitcher. There are still pitchers like that available. We talked about kind of that second or third tier of starting pitcher. Even if there's some guys that are maybe a little bit worse than what Jamison Tyone would have given, given you, there's guys like Noah Syndergaard, Nathan Navaldi, Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya. That's still a tier that I think elevates the Orioles starting rotation it still gives you somebody that could potentially start on opening day even if it's your second or third best starter down the line as the season goes along that's still a valuable asset to add to this starting rotation and I think many Orioles fans have said it as well Kyle Gibson Paul probably can't be the last move to add to your starting rotation Mike Elias has made it pretty clear that the Orioles top need is still at starting pitcher. And I think after the Kyle Gibson signing, which fortifies the back end of your starting rotation, I think you're still looking for one to fortify the front end. Yeah, so Chris Bassett, of course, with the Chris Met. Chris Bassett as well, yep. Um, think about him. You think about some other guys who um, might be still available. They're kind of going off the board, Noah Syndergaard. So all these guys that I think would represent somebody who you could start on opening day, but somebody who, you know, Probably not a, an, an ace, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but somebody who at least, if Grayson Rodriguez is on your team, Grayson Rodriguez doesn't have to start opening day because he would be a rookie starting on opening day. John Means is not going to be healthy, of course. So there are still guys out there that they would like to acquire. The problem is, and Michael Elias has indicated this, that uh, every team wants starting pitching right, right. now. <laughs> every single team in baseball is searching for starting pitching. So it's just making the market a little bit more difficult to search out and find the best option for the Orioles. Yeah, speaking of which, every team in baseball wants wants Carlos Rodon. Yeah. He is probably the best starting pitcher still available on the market. We have seen Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander go off the board. So I think Carlos Rodon is the guy who is left. Obviously, it would be ideal for the Orioles to bring in an ace left-handed starting pitcher. He makes a lot of sense in Baltimore. But again, 
he makes a lot of sense on every single team in baseball. Yeah. Because he's really, really good, and he is presumably going to be good for a long time. In terms of trades, Michael, I said on the first day that uh, odds are typically against trades happening simply because it's difficult to get two teams lined up in terms of their needs and in terms of how they value certain players. But he didn't rule it out. And we have heard the four guys that the Orioles have been connected to and Tarek Skubal, Zach Plesak, Corbin Burns, of course, who would be the the biggest prize there, and Pablo Lopez. Um, So still on the table, but, and Michael Elias indicated, you know, best farm system in baseball. The Orioles have the, um, you know, they have the, manpower to trade for pretty much anybody that they want and if you think about it that's quite a good position to be in it's just a matter of who do you want and you got to make sure that when you cash those chips in it's somebody worth getting yeah it has to be somebody that truly elevates this rotation if you're going to give up some of your better prospects to get them yeah we're going to mention the four names zach plezak is one is that has been thrown around a lot I don't know how much he actually elevates this starting rotation. He has had kind of a rough last few seasons. He has had some really uh, frustrating injuries from the team's perspective. If you remember, he injured his hand because he got angry after giving up a home run and punched the mound and then was relatable on the injured list for a while there. Uh, he once injured his thumb a few years ago because in frustration, he ripped off his jersey and injured his thumb and was out for a while. Kind of a frustrating player who showed a lot of talent early on in his career. I don't know if the last few seasons have indicated that the Orioles should be trading prospects to get him. Yeah, really rough win-loss record, which is, you know, not... Yeah, you don't really look at pitcher wins, but he was... 3-12. on a good Guardians team. Yeah, with a 4-3-1 ERA. Even his strikeout numbers, not great. Seven strikeouts per nine. Yeah. Not terrific. Um, you would probably be buying him a little bit lower, I would think. You would. He's 28 years old, so he he might be a, the cheapest of these four guys mentioned yeah. in terms of if you're trading prospects to get him. Corbin Burns, I think it's safe to say, would take the most amount of prospects, the most amount of high-level prospects. Um, somebody who has been in the top seven in um, Cy Young voting each of the last three years. Somebody who uh, really could be a true ace on your staff, but is going to take a whole lot to get there. Two-time All-Star, 12-8 and eight record, ERA under three, 11 Ks per nine, uh, and will still cost a lot because he's yeah. projected to make $11.4 million in arbitration under contract for only two more years. Yeah, Burns is a tricky one because ideally, if you're trading for him, you would like to sign him long-term. Whether or not he wants to sign a long-term deal, if he were to be traded, remains to be seen. If he actually gets traded, reportedly the Brewers want to try to hang on to Burns and Brandon Woodruff right now, so it would cost a lot to get him. The Orioles are the best equipped team in baseball, I would think, to be able to get Corbin Burns. Anybody. (laughs) Yeah, to be able to get anybody, quite frankly. And he elevates your rotation the most. Yeah. I mean, he won the Cy Young in 2021. He would have been a three-time All-Star had there been an All-Star game in 2020. His last three seasons have been unbelievable. 262 ERA, a whip under one, as you mentioned, almost 12 strikeouts per nine. He's a top 10 pitcher in baseball. You can make a case that he's a top five, six, seven pitcher in all of baseball. If you can get Corbin Burns and not give up a ridiculous amount of prospects to get him, he's obviously the most exciting name. Yep. 
uh, youngest guy of these four mentioned is Tarek Skubal uh, of the Detroit Tigers. 3.52 ERA last year, nine strikeouts per nine, not eligible for arbitration until 2024. So while Corbin Burns hit the fr hits the free agent market after the 2023 season, that's when Skubal becomes eligible for arbitration, which means he gets three more years. So if you're getting Skubal, you're getting him for a long time. Yeah. And that, he, he is not the pitcher that Corbin Burns is right now, but he might take a similar haul in terms of prospects simply because of his team controls. Yeah, Scoople is an interesting case just because he doesn't have a really long track record. And it's a question of how much are you trusting 2022? Because in 2021, he had a 434 ERA. And in 2020, he had an ERA of over five and a half. So how much are you trusting the improvement that you saw from Tarek Scoople this year? I think you are. I mean, his ERA was at 352, which isn't elite, but again, kind of a Kyle Gibson unlucky sort of pitcher. His FIP, that fielder independent pitching, is all the way down at 296 compared to a FIP over five in 2021. Yeah. So I think you can buy that improvement there. The question becomes how much is he going to cost in a trade? Because as you mentioned, he is not going to be hitting free agency for a very long time until 2027. <laughs> so that's a lot of team control that you essentially have to trade for. Because yeah. that adds a ton of value to Scooble outside of what he's actually giving you on the field. Which is probably why the Tigers will not trade him. Not right. that the, I don't know the Tigers intimately, but typically... <laughs> we're not that close. We're not that close. But typically, you know, teams are very hesitant to trade, especially a starting pitcher with that many years of team control. And then the last guy here that we should talk about, Pablo Lopez, 27 years old with the Miami Marlins, 10 and 10 last year with a 3.75 ERA. He's got a career ERA just under four. So he's kind of middling ground of these guys projected to make $5.6 million in arbitration under contract through the 2024 season, extra year of control. But somebody would slot, I think if Grayson Rodriguez hits his ceiling, you'd probably slot him maybe behind Gray Rod yeah. as the number two long-term yeah, in your rotation. He's consistently really good. Yeah. Last three seasons has an ERA of 352, whip just over 1.1, over nine strikeouts per nine innings. He's just consistently really good. Yeah. There's not a ton to say about Pablo Lopez in terms of numbers that absolutely jump off the board. He is just a good number two, number three starter on a good team. Yeah. And Scooble is the only lefty of this group. Yes. And uh, Michael Elias has said he's not dead set on taking a lefty, but would certainly help with the new left, left field wall being moved back. Yeah, you don't have to bring in a left-handed pitcher, but as you mentioned, if you are a left-handed pitcher going against a right-handed power hitter who is pulling to the left side at Camden Yards, their power numbers are not going to be as good. Yeah. And I think when you're looking at free agent pitchers, like a guy like Carlos Rodon, that's a very appealing pitch. Yep. That your power numbers against right-handed hitters are not going to look as bad because they're going to have a much harder time hitting home runs to left field. And Michael Ass did say that the Orioles have had uh, good meetings with pitchers, free agent pitchers. He said about eight pitchers they've talked with. Yeah, either. eight zooms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he says that agents, not just Scott Boris, seem to be enticed by what the Orioles have culture-wise, what they have coaching-wise, analytically, um, and, you know, they continue to make their pitches to agents and for a team that was pretty dormant in, in uh, MLB free agency over the last couple of years, teams are more, agents are more, players are more enticed 
by the idea of going to the Orioles than they would have been. Yeah, we haven't seen the Orioles make the big splash yet. Kyle Gibson is not a big splash. And as we're getting comments live on YouTube and Facebook, fans a little frustrated that the Orioles have not made that big splash yet. But, I mean, hate to keep going back to that Scott Boris press conference, but he made a note of saying, yeah, Michael Elias has made it clear that the Orioles are in a very different spot and yeah. that this is going to be a very different offseason. Yeah. So if that's what Michael Elias is telling agents in these behind-closed-doors conversations, then that's a clear indicator that the Orioles are trying to be aggressive. They are trying to make some of these longer-term deals. They are trying to bring in quality major league talent that's going to help this team towards a playoff push. On the surface right now, I get that it kind of looks like off seasons of old and they're bringing in, you know, Kyle Gibson on a relatively inexpensive deal and they're making some minor league signings around the edges, but they're still trying. Yeah. And they are still trying to bring in higher end talent. And Brandon Hyde said, you know, this is a different mode now. We are yeah. in win now mode, which is where they should be. But you also can't look at just twenty twenty three and say this is it. We're going all chips in the middle, yep. you know, for, for one season. Um, let's talk about some minor league deals that the Orioles made. If you are a corner outfielder, if you hit from the left side of the plate. You could have just ended it at if you hit from the left side yeah. of the plate. Yeah. And Welcome if you, to the Orioles. And if you have uh, some pretty good power numbers, either in the big leagues or in the minor leagues, you've just signed a minor league contract with the Baltimore yeah. Orioles. Uh, Nomar Mazzara signing a minor league deal with the Orioles. Josh Lester, not John Lester, Josh Lester. 28 years old, signing a minor league deal with the Orioles. He hit 29 homers in AAA last year. It fits along the lines of the Lewin Diaz waiver claim, fits along the lines of the Franchi Cordero minor league deal. And when you just saw Cody Bellinger, corner hitting or corner outfield, left-handed hitting, power hitting outfielder, just signed for 17 and a half million, the Orioles may be trying to find that archetype in the aggregate by adding all these guys on minor league deals. And again, it is important to take these signings for what they are. It is entirely possible that we don't see any of these guys at the major league level. And it is important to keep in mind that the Orioles are more than likely not banking on any of these guys playing significant roles next year. These are minor league signings that have a chance to maybe break camp with the team if they have a good spring training or if they have a really great stretch down in AAA Norfolk, then maybe they get a chance at the big league level. But let's take these signings for exactly what they are, which is a minor league deal, which is a low risk, high reward sort of signing if any of these players pans out. I think Nomar Mazzara is probably the most significant of these minor league signings entering his age 28 season. OPS last year, power numbers last year weren't great. But if you have been following along with baseball for a bit, I mean, Mazzara was a name for a while in Texas when he was getting stretches of playing a significant amount of games early on in his career. He was great. I mean, the last time he has played more than 55 games in a season, had an OPS of 786 with 19 homers in 116 games. He had 20 home runs in each of the previous three seasons before that when he was getting, again, significant playing time. And it seems like the last few years of turning into more of a role player has maybe messed with his timing, just hasn't been the same sort of player in those limited opportunities. Yeah, so there are still some big league guys that fit that mold 
that are out there. And maybe it's not just Mazzara, maybe it's not just Franchi Cordero that they're hoping one of those guys can step up and, and win the job out of camp. Yeah. And keep in mind, they do still have a Kyle Stowers in their system. They do still have Terran Favre who can play in the outfield. Um, and Michael I said he wants to give those guys opportunities, but also if you're going to make a playoff push, you want a proven bat yeah, in that spot. Brandon Hyde noting yesterday when asked about Kyle Stowers said that they really like the tools and he has a chance to win a big league job. What that job looks like, we're not really sure. That could be a DH role, could be a platoon corner outfielder. We don't really know. But Brandon Hyde, again, seems to like what he has seen with Kyle Stowers. He came up big with some great home runs in clutch spots last year. He's got a chance to play a significant role next year. A couple guys still out there. Michael Brantley, who you really like. Yep. Uh, Adam Duvall is still out there. Josh Bell signed yesterday, so he is off the market. But still some guys out there. And if we know one thing, the Orioles are going to want to try to get a left-handed hitter yeah. for that spot. I think if we could go back and look at our free agency bracket, just knock out all the righties. Yeah, just get rid of them. There's no point. <laughs> um, a couple other things that we should hit on quickly before we get out of here. Uh, Orioles did not jump up in the first ever MLB draft lottery. They did not get a top six pick. They're with the number 17 overall pick. And for being the last team eliminated in the American League, I think you happily make that trade. Yeah. I mean, the draft lottery was not very kind to some teams. The Oakland Athletics bumped Oof. all the way down to number six in the draft lottery, I believe. They were projected yes. as the number two overall pick. They had the second worst pick, or the second worst record, Ready. excuse me, in all of baseball. And they can't get a top six pick next year either. So the highest they can pick next year is number seven. So even with the Orioles at number 17, just be glad that you are not the Oakland Athletics. Yeah. Um, other than that, Rule 5 draft is today, Brendan. A lot of interesting names out there. Uh, we had yeah. a conversation with Mike Snyder, who is the Orioles uh, director of uh, uh, big league scouting, for a team that traditionally has used the Rule 5 draft better than any other team in baseball. We are entering a year in which the Orioles may not take somebody. I still have my money on them taking somebody. Yeah, they have the open <laughs> roster spots. They have 38 out of 40, but they have the 17th pick. So it's not like they have the number one pick or the number two pick. They will have to wait for all these teams. That, that doesn't mean they're going to be 16 picks, 16 players selected in front of them. Teams are going to pass in front of them. And it's entirely possible that the guy that they would have taken at the first pick is on the board at 17, because this is one of those drafts. It's not like the MLB draft where there's a consensus top 10, top 15. This is pretty much pick your flavor yeah. of, of prospect. The Rule 5 draft is so weird. There are so many names that could be picked, be not picked. I mean, we tried last year when there wasn't a Rule 5 draft to predict who the Orioles might take. We'd like to think that maybe that was close, but I don't know. I mean, it, our producer, Amy Jennings, spoke with J.J. Cooper yesterday, who knows all things Rule 5 Draft, and she asked, hey, what are some of the top names that you're looking at? Guys I had never heard of. Yeah. I, I've tried to do my Rule 5 Draft prep and figure out who some of the top prospects are, and then J.J. Cooper, who is much more knowledgeable on the Rule 5 Draft than I am. He's the guy. Uh, throws out some names that I just didn't even think of. Weren't on prospect lists, weren't anywhere yeah so the rule five draft as you mentioned paul the orioles don't have the number one overall pick they have number 17 but maybe the guy that they would have taken at number one is still there at number 17 so i wouldn't be surprised if they just have a guy and if their guy is still there they take him and if not give me one name who's your favorite of of rule five oh, drivers man, there are i'm going victor vodnik 
Victor Vodnik Atlanta is, Brave system. I think he's their number yeah. nine prospect. There are a lot. I mean, there he's are a lot. He's got 2 ERA. There are a lot of great <laughs> right prospects pitcher. in this draft. Yeah. I think we are seeing over the last few years, teams are protecting fewer of their top 30 prospects because I don't really think there's a consensus around the league when when you get out of your top 10 prospects in the system. Yeah, that's what Mike Snyder kind of indicated. Right. He he said basically there's a consensus among teams when you have, you know, your top 5, 10 guys in a system. But after that, I mean, you could rank 10 to 30 pretty much right. however much you wanted. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that all of these guys who are top 10 prospects or top 15 prospects in team systems get passed over right. for guys, um, you know, who may not even be on prospect lists. Yeah. Like Felix Bautista wasn't. He wasn't a Rule 5 draft pick, but the Orioles protected him from the Rule 5 draft. So, yeah, interesting I, stuff. I skirted around your question. I didn't give you a name. You didn't? Probably the one name that I thought was intriguing uh, was TJ Sakema. Yeah, he I like is, him. Uh, the pitcher in the Royals organization. The reason that he was intriguing to me was because he was in that Andrew Benintendi trade that mm-hmm. sent Benintendi from the Royals to the Yankees. And at least in my mind, if the league views him as a valuable trade piece, then maybe he is a valuable Rule 5 draft piece. But the team that acquired him didn't even view him as a valuable. So I don't know. <laughs> the problem is all of these players were passed over by their own teams. Right. So you, know, they, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Right. Thad Ward, Red Sox pitcher yep. as well, like him. There's so many names. There's a bunch <laughs> of names. Let us know who you want. Literally massive yep. sheet of and, names and... And if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, you already know who the Orioles took, if they took anybody. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We got uh, quite a lot more coverage here from the winter meetings yeah. in San Diego, California. We need to get our voices back. We need to get the energy levels up. Oh, good. I need to get some coffees. It's yeah. Keep in mind, time difference. All it right, is we started early this out here in San Diego. At 8 a.m. Yeah. Just to get on the air at 11 a.m. Just for you wonderful people. Thanks so much for tuning in. At Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. And of course, all of our coverage on at Mass and Orioles, on the Masson app, on MassinSports.com with Rock Kabako out here. Um, really fun stuff. Really exciting here. stuff. I mean, we've got Your first winter with, meetings? Yeah. Got content with Michael Elias, Brandon Hyde, the guys from Cespedes Family Barbecue at Foolish Baseball. Foolish Baseball a coming soon. A lot of soon. fun content. Yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been a blast. I think we're still going to be posting stuff like over the weekend because we're like <laughs> backlogged on content. And people are going to be like, didn't the winter, winter meetings happen like a week ago? We're going to be back in we Baltimore. We just stayed for an extra long time. Yes. And we got to get back, Brendan, Friday for a hot stove show. Ooh, so Oreos hot stove show Friday at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Me and Rock Bacco, uh sleep deprived. Can't wait. Uh, it's going to be fun. And, of course, the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. And we will catch you next time back in Baltimore.